Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode, a very somber yet optimistic episode of Two-Tone Uncensored. I, of course, am your host, Ryan Moreland. All right, let's just jump into it, guys. Let's start with the Patriots' loss. Obviously, that's the, the first thing we need to cover, 35-14 to 14 loss to the Patriots. Now, I want to talk with about the officiating first. That's the first big thing. It's been talked about, you know, everybody that watched this game really knew. Like, being, even I talked to Patriots fans during the game that are close friends of mine, and they were like, wow, you, you really got screwed on that call. You really got screwed on this call. And it did happen. Two major calls, and everybody knows the calls I'm talking about, really screwed the Tennessee Titans in this game. Really were bad calls against us that really hurt us in this game. However, I don't think we would have won the game anyway if we played the same style that we played. We only scored 14 points. One was really garbage time. So we scored one touchdown, one meaningful touchdown in this game. So even if we played the same style, I still think we would have lost this game I, although I would have liked to have those calls back to have us there, and you can make the argument that maybe we thought we were out of it and we quit playing. I don't really see that from this team, and I didn't really see that in this game. Uh, however, you can make the argument, of course, but, but the way that we played for most of that game, we wouldn't have won anyway. Uh, but I will say those calls were terrible. The officiating in this game was terrible. The officiating for pretty much all of the playoffs, especially Titans games it seems like, has been awful. Something needs to be done about this. We talked about it with Cody Milholan last week about ideas that the NFL could do and take to make officiating in the playoffs much better. Uh, but, you know, who knows if the NFL will actually do anything about it, the owners' meetings in the off season, And, of course... You can stay tuned to Two-Tone Uncensored, and we will bring those uh, rule changes up once they happen. But this was a a game that did have some positive takeaways from it. I mean, there were, were some. We're going to start with the negatives because they're more obvious. Uh, first off, the Patriots are known for shutting down what you do best. Bill Belichick is going to target what you do best and stop it. That's exactly what he did in this game. What, we do, we, what do we do best as Tennessee Titans? We run the ball well. He shut that down. Henry went 12 for 12 carries for 28 yards and a 2.3 average, which is awful. Uh, losing Jack Conklin early in this game definitely did not help that situation. You know, we have Dennis Kelly, who has been very solid. And I don't think he played an overly bad game, uh, but, you know, he's no Jack Conklin, that's for sure. Marcus did have, you know, four carries for a 9.3 average, which is, like, really good. Uh, but as a team... We had three more rushing yards as a team than Deion Lewis did by himself in this game. That's not a winning recipe. You know, they they had outrushed us, and this is a team that's not built to run, the Patriots. They're not built to beat you on the ground. And Tom Brady threw the ball 53 times. So the fact that they still outrushed us, obviously problematic in this game. Uh, the secondary of the Pats, I think, is very unheralded in this game, but deserves most of the credit. We did give up eight sacks in this game. However, if you look at them, you take out the, I think, one or two where Marcus was scrambling uh, and got tackled. Well, the one was like he got tackled right at the line. Like, you can throw that one out. But most of them, if you look at them, when he's in the pocket and he was sacked, Marcus holds onto the ball for five, six, seven seconds at some of them. That's a coverage sack. That's not the defensive line is just beating us on the offensive line. That's not what happened. The secondary just really locked our receivers down in this game. Marcus wasn't able to see anybody open, and he's not going to force the ball anywhere. 
and he ended up taking the sack. Um, so the secondary of the Patriots really, I mean, they handled our wide receivers. That's what happened. It sucks to say. It, it sucked to watch, that's for sure. Um, but our receivers weren't getting the separation necessary for Marcus to get them the ball, and that was evident in this game. That's what led to those eight uh, sacks. The other thing, not nearly enough pressure on Brady. Oh, no sacks in this game for the Tennessee Titans. Only four QB hits, and Tom Brady went off. You know, 35 for 53, 337 yards, and three touchdowns. You know, you're not going to win many games when you allow Brady to throw for over 300 yards. You know, especially when the run game was working for them as well as it was. They talked about it repetitively in this game. Tony Romo, Romo brought it up a lot. Was the fact that. Our defensive line, we don't rotate very often, so they were using that to their advantage, and they did. You know, something they picked up in their game tape, and they use it to their advantage uh, heavily in this game. So, obviously, something we're going to be looking for in the, going into the draft is not only talent along the defensive line, but depth as well. The positives, and there are some positives to take away from this. First one I want to mention is no turnovers, and that you can be like, okay, well, we had no turnovers in the game where we got blown out, but... It's significant because this is our first game without a turnover since week three against the Seahawks. It has been a long time since we've played a mistake-free football. This game, we had no turnover. So there has to be, like, you have to highlight that and say, like, well, that's impressive because of what we have been doing all year compared to this game. You know, we had to play a team we knew we needed to play mistake-free football in order to have a chance to win. You know, we still don't have a chance to win, but we did have and did play mistake-free football. So... A lot can be said to that. Corey Davis finally scores, and he gets two touchdowns. Both catches were well covered. Davis used his body to shield the defender in both instances away from the football, so only he could come up with it. Um, one comes up with a, a fantastic one-handed catch. The other one, a toe tap on the sideline. Corey Davis had a really good game in this. You know, Only six catches, not that much. Now his yards won't blow you away. But those two touchdowns were huge in this game. Also, credit to Marcus for throwing them because both of them were damn near perfect passes right where they needed to be so Corey Davis could make a play on the ball. Makes you excited for the future. You know, it obviously it makes you excited that we're going to have a guy that Marcus can just put the ball over his head. He can use his body to shield the defender out of the way and come up with a, a great catch in the end zone. Both of them fantastic catches for Corey Davis. And Eric Decker came back in a big way. Last week, had a very bad performance, very poor performance, aside from the one touchdown catch You know, at the end of the game. Decker came back with six catches, 85 yards. He was our leading receiver. You know, He looked a lot better in this game, although, as I said earlier, for Corey Davis and Decker and all, all, all of our receivers, not a good game overall. They really got handled by the secondary. You know, so... It is a positive, but also, you know, kind of a take it with a grain of salt kind of thing. Like, he did have a good performance when he was thrown to. However, he could have gotten open far more. And that goes for both Corey Davis and Eric Decker. Although the two plays that Eric Decker scored on, he was covered very well. The Both guys, both uh, corners were in position to make a play. Corey Davis just beat him. You know, that's there's not a lot you can do at that point unless you're an elite-level corner. You're not going to stop plays like that when you have a guy as talented as Corey Davis and the ball's thrown as well as it was for Marcus Mariota. So those are positive and negative takeaways from this game. It was a heartbreaker. It ends our season. However, this is the first season we've had a playoff win in 14 years. It does set a precedent for us for the future. That obviously this team is going to be a competitor. Is going to be you know a team to watch in the AFC for the future. And another thing to be you know very optimistic about is we have a very young core. 
Mariota, Derrick Henry, Corey Davis, Kevin Byer, Jack Conklin, Taylor Lewan, Adoree Jackson, Logan Ryan, Avery Williamson, all of these players are 26 or younger. And most of them on the, on the younger scale by a few years. There's a very young core here. A very young, talented core here. All the guys I listed have had solid seasons for us. Are all good players. Are all pieces that we're definitely looking forward to having. And all of them... Um, you know, very young. So definitely a lot to look forward to. Also a lot of key pieces there as well when you're talking about running back, quarterback, wide receiver, your best defensive player in Kevin Byard, you know, two offensive tackles, uh, you know, an up-and-coming corner and return man in Adoree Jackson and Logan Ryan. You know, a lot of a lot of talent there. So the officiating did screw us. However, we didn't play the game necessary in order to win that anyway. It would have been a lot closer. I do agree with that. Would we have had a shot? I do believe so. I'm still very mad about it. Don't don't take that away that I was like, ah, well, you know, it's whatever. I'm still very upset about it as well. I think you all are as well. It sucks. You know, we did get fucked. Like, that's, that's the only way to explain it is we got screwed. And I, I don't think, I'll say this too, I don't think that, the Patriots paid anybody, or that they cheated. I'm, I'm not buying into that, and I'm, I'm not going to. And if you believe it, I mean, you, you have every right to, and you know, call them, you know, cheatriots or however you're going to put it. I, you know, I just don't think that's the case. I just think officiating has been terrible, and that's been true like of every playoff game that you've watched. There's bad calls in all of them, especially if you're a Titans fan. You've been watching these Tennessee Titans games that both weeks horrible, horrible officiating. But I just think that the mistakes were made because of poor officiating, and they just happened to both, you know, the both two really bad calls just happened to be against the Patriots. I really don't think the Patriots cheated to get those calls. I just think they were they're really terrible calls, and they just happened to be against us. So, you know, we got screwed because of incompetence, but it was just lucky that it was us, or bad luck for us that it was us. But, you know, that's that's the way... It can fall sometimes. The NFL needs to make uh, some drastic changes to the NFL officiating. It's been a problem not only in the playoffs, but all season, as we mentioned last week. And I'm not going to go too in-depth with it because we already have last week. If you haven't heard that, go back last week and hear what me and Cody had to say about it. We went on, on it, on, sorry, went on about it for quite some time. So it's all there for you to listen to. But let's move on because we have a lot to cover here. Because our head coach is no longer with us, Mike Malarkey and the team departed a day after he was offered an extension. That's the big news here. My theory in this, and it's not a hard theory to come by, I think you know if you've been paying attention, most of us are on the same page here. John Robinson already said that him trying to keep his assistant coaches did play a factor in the firing. That's been on record. It's already out there. So obviously my theory is John Robinson and Amy Adams Strunk told Malarkey that you do get the extension. However, we are picking your coaches. You don't get a say in choosing your new staff, and you're going to lose a lot of your staff members. Malarkey decided then that he did not want to coach a staff that was like this. I think that's what led to the firing. You know, it's easy to get to that route. It's it's kind of, you know, almost obvious, um, but that's obviously what I think happened, and it looks like that was... Likely the case, there's some variation of that. So, um, before we move into the coaching um, changes and what we're looking for and and the candidates out there, I want to say this. I know a lot of fans out there will forever hate Mike Malarkey. I'm not one of them. 
His style was flawed. He definitely hindered Marcus Mariota in his, you know, in the play calling and the style that he wanted to run didn't fit uh, Mariota. You know, it's something that you know, all, not just us on this show, but you know, all fans have been saying for a while. But he was a good leader. He led us to a playoff win. The team really connected with uh, Mike Malarkey. So there was some positive takeaways about what he did. Getting that playoff win and getting over that hump is something that's one thing I'm always going to remember Mike Malarkey for. And I, it is a team effort, and it goes to everybody. And some t- will say that he the team won in spite of Mike Malarkey, which there's probably a lot of truth to that. However, he was the head coach when we got it done for the first time in 14 years. We've had very bad coaching decisions um, you know, since the firing of Jeff Fisher. So, and this was probably the best experiment that we had. And, you know, it, it obviously was the most successful. So I'm not, I don't hate Mike Malarkey. I, I do see a reason to move on from him. And I have been saying that, you know, I, you know, on record, I have been saying that I don't think that moving on might be the right decision. And I, and I'm going to tell you that why in, in just a second. But Mike Malarkey we can't have Terry Obisky back. We can't have like Jason Michaels back. We can't keep throwing these average, okay assistant coaches in and expecting good wins. If Mike Malarkey is not willing to part ways with those guys, then we have to part ways with Mike Malarkey. You know, I, even though I was saying that you know we maybe maybe moving on from Malarkey is not the right choice, we needed to move on from them. So if Malarkey's not willing to do that, then I have, absolutely you have to move on from Mike Malarkey. Now the reason I have been saying, be careful what you wish for, for everybody who's been calling for the firing of Mike Malarkey, is the coaching market's not as good as you think it is. It, it, you have, that's the thing, is it's not firing Mike Malarkey and then everything's solved. It's firing Mike Malarkey and then finding someone who is better than Malarkey. That's what we have to do. Right now in the coaching hunt, John Gruden signed with Oakland. He's off the table. Josh McDaniels is is expected to sign with the Colts and has even reportedly started picking his assistant coaches that he's going to work with in Indianapolis. So he's off the table. Uh, Pat Shermer is expected to sign with the New York Giants. Off the table. Matt Patricia, you know, who's also... A guy that, like McDaniels, played with the pay or coached with the Patriots, expected to take the Lions' job. So there you go. Like a lot of the top coaching guys already off the table, we're not going to land them. We went into the coaching hunt far later than everyone else did, so we are going to be at a disadvantage. That I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. We're going to be at a disadvantage when it comes to these hirings. Now, I will say this: there are some good candidates out there. There's some strong candidates with strong cases out there. However, the big names like Gruden, McDaniel, Shermer, and Patricia are all gone. Those guys that you know a lot of people really liked, you know, most analysts are really high on, have had you know high levels of success at the jobs that they're at now, all gone. So getting to the table now and not firing a coach until after the divisional round of the playoffs puts us in a hurt, like a bad spot. However, like I said, there are some good coaches out there. There are some left that could be solid coaches for us. That could be difference makers. Um, let's start with who we're already scheduled to interview with. Mike Vrabel. We will be interviewing uh, Wednesday, the day this comes out, Wednesday the seventeenth. 
Obviously, Vrabel, defensive coordinator for the Texans, has had a lot of success uh, at that job. Three-time Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots as a player and has strong ties to John Robinson. So this is a guy that's been talked about because of those ties. Even though John Robinson has already gone on record in saying that you know, those connections he's glad to have, but they will not decide who's the next head coach. You know, obviously the connection doesn't hurt the process of trying to become the next head coach of the Tennessee Titans. For Vrabel, great defensive mind. He was a very smart defensive player when he was on the field. He was like a quarterback at the linebacker position. Very, very smart a defensive mind. Um, there's that's all you can say. He's proved that as a coach as well that he's had. You know, this year their defense suffered a lot of injuries, a lot of key injuries on defense, as well as a long suspension uh, to a, a very big defensive um, part for them, and and still had a pretty solid defense. We're still able to be competitive defensively against teams that they probably shouldn't have. So you know that obviously hurts when you lose guys like J.J. Watt, Whitney Merciless. Those are key pieces. I mean, you're talking about your two best defensive players. Losing them, obviously. I mean, just imagine what Tennessee would be like, what our season would have been like if, like, right off the bat, Jarrell Casey and Kevin Byard got hurt. Our season would not have ended in the playoffs. Like, I guarantee that. So, obviously, he still had a lot of success with a very banged-up defense. Great defensive mind. My drawback when it comes to Vrabel he would need a strong offensive coordinator. Vrabel's not an offensive-minded guy. You would still need to find a strong offensive coordinator. And, you know, John Robinson said over and over again that one of the keys, they want a leader, you know, leader of man. They want this, they want that. But one of the keys is turning Marcus into his potential. You know, taking the potential that Marcus Mariota has and, and realizing it. That is one of the keys that they're looking for. Vrabel's not going to be the guy to do that. He's going to be a guy that needs a strong offensive coordinator, needs a solid uh, quarterback coach in order to do that. And unless John Robinson has some people in mind already that he wants for that spot, or if Vrabel has some guys that he can that he knows in his coaching circles that he can bring in, uh, it, it's going to be, I think, harder for a defensive-minded guy to get the job. That's just that's just the way I see it. Unless you know someone that you can bring with you, and that's going to be part of the interview, I'm sure. Is you know, for the, especially for these defensive coordinators and defensive minded guys, like, do you have ideas? Who would you bring in as an assistant? Who would you bring in as a quarterback coach? Who do you like as an offensive coordinator? So you know, and it's impossible for us to know right now. You know, who Vrabel would want to bring, who's available for Vrabel to bring. It'd be impossible to know. But obviously, any defensive uh, minded coach that's going to be uh in the back of your mind the next guy matt lafleur also going to interview uh, on thursday coming up the 18th of january offensive coordinator for the rams worked with jared goff had a lot of success this year with jared goff um the previous two years he was working with matt ryan who had two solid years one he was the mvp of the league so obviously a pretty standout year a guy that has experience working with um with quarterbacks and really making quarterbacks better. Now, a couple drawbacks I have with him. Because obviously he, he has had a very successful offense, worked with two quarterbacks that took steps forward under his tutelage. The drawbacks with LaFleur is he's never worked with anybody like Marcus. He's never like Both of those guys are not mobile quarterbacks. They're not... You know, they don't play like Marcus does. Marcus is incredibly accurate in the short and mid-range game, 
and then mobile, and that's what makes him lethal. You know, you're talking about guys like Goff and Matt Ryan, who are more you know prototypical style quarterbacks. Um, you know, that aren't not that they're not mobile. They, those both guys can do stuff with their feet, but they're not guys that are going to like set you on fire like Marcus will. They're not guys that are ever going to score an 82 yard touchdown run. You know, but and they're all both guys also that do some of their best work in the deep game. That's not going to be Marcus Mariota. You know, that play calling is not going to work with Marcus Mariota. Like, ex- like, if you run it too much, if you run it too often. Marcus has shown that he can throw a deep ball now and then and get it, but he's not a deep ball guy. He's not a strong-armed quarterback. So that worries me a little bit with LaFleur. He has had set success with QBs, but non- none that are anything like Marcus. You know, but it's hard because most quarterbacks in the league aren't like Marcus, so you're not going to find a lot of guys that do have that kind of uh, experience and as and have had that kind of success with a quarterback that is like Marcus Mariota. Now, the other guy we'll be interviewing is Scott Wilkes, defensive coordinator with the Panthers, and basically you can copy and paste what I said about Mike Vrabel. You know, great defensive mind, but would need a strong offensive coordinator. Also, a lot of people have been discounting this as an actual uh, you know, candidate because of the Rooney Rule. And if you're not familiar, I'll explain. The Rooney Rule, which is named after um, you know, the family that owns the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, and you know, Art Rooney, their uh, owner for a long time who passed away. It's named after him, and it's basically you have to, you have to when hiring a coach, interview one minority coaching candidate. Uh, so far, you know, out of the names that we are hiring, or even the names that I have as my other candidates, Scott Wilkes is the only black coach. He's the only minority coach, so he would that would satisfy the Rooney Rule for the Tennessee Titans, so they wouldn't incur a fine or whatever punishment comes with the Rooney Rule. So some people are discounting that. However, I slightly disagree with this because Scott Wilkes has had a lot of success as a defensive coordinator. I think he's a guy, you know, he's been a guy that's interviewed at other spots, like in Arizona. Um, I believe also he interviewed for the spot in uh, New York for the Giants. He's a guy that I think has some upside. You know, he's he's a very intelligent defensive mind, very good defensive mind. But, you know, you're still in the same boat that you are with Vrabel. You would still need an offensive mind to come with you. You would still need a good offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach to help Marcus. And Marcus is going to be the focus of this. We still want, you know, everything that John Robinson said, the leader of men, a guy that can do stuff on all three phases of the ball. But there's going to be a strong emphasis, as there should be, on can you develop our quarterback into what we think he can be. And when you're a defensive-minded guy, it's hard to put that on the table unless you have some offensive guys um, in mind that you can hire. So... That, obviously, you know, like I just said with Vrabel, is going to be a problem. But I don't buy into that Scott Wilkes is only being interviewed just because we need to satisfy the Rooney rule. I think that he is a very good coach, and, and he's been interviewing everywhere. I think that there's a reason to that, that he's a very good coach. He's obviously had success at his job there. So I'm not putting credit to the fact that we're only doing it to satisfy the Rooney rule. I think that they're interviewing him because they think there is – a strong likelihood that he might be a really strong candidate and might be um, a guy that we really look at. And especially with 
dominoes falling, like I mentioned earlier, all these guys either in the spot or about to be announced as head coaches, the dominoes are falling. So if we lose one or two guys, you know, you're going to, do we enter panic mode? If one or two hires happen, do we enter panic mode? If Arizona figures out who they want, you know, do we enter panic mode? And then, you know, like say Vrabel goes or Lafleur goes, you know, then the p- potential of hiring Scott Wilkes it goes up then. And if Scott Wilkes is hired, you know, which is also a possibility in Arizona. So I'm not putting any credit to like he's just there for that minority high or minority rule that's in place with the NFL. You know, I think that he has a real shot. And I like Scott Wilkes. He's not my favorite candidate for sure, but I do uh, think that he has. He's just more than just his race as as it pertains to head coach, obviously. That's a, a good way to put it. But anyways, other candidates I'm looking at that we haven't announced any interviews with or anything like that, but should, you know, take a look at. The first one's going to be Frank Reich, obviously, you know, former player, which always gets, you know, teams excited. Right now, the Eagles offensive coordinator uh, the Eagles' offense has really soared under him. They, you know, obviously been very successful this year up until they lost, you know, Carson Wentz. But still, they're playing in an NFC Championship game even without their starting quarterback. There's a lot to be said about what I know uh, Frank Reich has been able to accomplish in Philadelphia. However, big drawback for me is he does not call plays. Doug Peterson calls plays. Frank Reich has never called plays at the NFL level that I'm aware of, at least. That worries me. You know, you want a guy as a head coach to come in that has that experience or can bring a strong um, offensive coordinator with him that can do that. So, you know, obviously, almost like the defensive coordinators, Frank Reich needs to have a guy with him that has play-calling experience or he demonstrates that he can do it. Not a guy that I'm really high on, Frank Reich. I I think he's a good coach and all, but... Not a guy that I want to see um, take control of this Titans team. The next guy is John DeFilippio. Um, he's a quarterback's coach with the Eagles. Not a lot of experience is a big drawback with him. Only one year as an offensive coordinator at the NFL level. No head coaching experience to speak of. And, you know, he's he doesn't have a lot of NFL experience um, outside of just being a quarterback coach. However... He's been very successful at that job. Last year, worked magic with Cody Kessler when he was in Cleveland. It was the fifth best quarterback rating ever in Cleveland Browns history, Cody Kessler had. And we saw Cody Kessler this year, and it was nothing near what he did last year. So I think a lot of that has to be put on the shoulders of John DeFilippio. That is why they were successful, obviously. Um, I think that he's a fantastic quarterback coach. You, like, fast forward to this year, Carson Wentz is his quarterback. Carson Wentz took a massive step forward and likely would have been um, at least in the top two, top three, and MVP voting had he not um, gotten injured this year and was the likely favorite when he got injured. So obviously the guy has a lot of success working with quarterbacks, which is you know a big check mark for us, a big check on the list. However... Not a lot of experience. Going from a quarterback coach with only one year of coordinating experience right into head coach, a little scary, obviously. But I think that this guy could be a great offensive coordinator. I think that that is a jump I'm comfortable with. He has one year experience, and I know that's not a lot, 
but he was very successful with his quarterback in that one year of experience as a coordinator, as I said. And if you hire a guy like Frank Reich or the next guy I'm going to talk about, Jim Schwartz, that has a relationship with John De- Don- John DeFilippio, then you can bring him in and as an offensive coordinator and really help Marcus out. So that's something I, I really like the possibility of seeing that, or even as a quarterback's coach. However, you know how much is he going to want to leave Philadelphia without getting a promotion? That's obviously going to play a part. But would he leave for a promotion? I mean, the odds are yes. Why wouldn't you? Next, we're going to talk about, as I just alluded to, Jim Schwartz, the Eagles defensive coordinator. A lot of Eagles on here, guys, and, and for good reason. They've had a lot of success recently and came – up under you know recent coaching changes. Uh, Jim Schwartz is a name we're all very familiar with. He spent 10 years with the Tennessee Titans. Eight of those years he spent as the defensive coordinator. Still calls Nashville his home. It's still his uh, off-season home, still where he resides. Very strong defensive mind under Schwartz. We had incredible defenses, very solid defenses in those years under him. It was something like a staple of the Tennessee Titans, something we were known for was our physicality and our defensive play. Um, Just like every other defensive coordinator, he's going to need a good offensive coordinator if he's going to come here. Now, like I just said with DeFilippio, that'll work for him in that regard. You can be like, hey, I got this kid, doesn't have a lot of experience, but look at what he's done with the quarterbacks and the places he has gone. It is fantastic. He has a fantastic track record. I think he's ready for the next step. That could be a very enticing offer. The one big drawback with Schwartz is his head coaching record's not good. After he left Tennessee, he went to uh, Detroit and was the Lions head coach. Did not have a very successful time there. His coaching record was not very good. However, a lot of people put a lot of too much weight on that. I always bring up the example of look at Bill Belichick's record when he was the head coach of the Browns. It's awful. It's not good. It's far below 500. Only made the playoffs once in his time there, I believe five years. Obviously, Bill Belichick is the best coach in the NFL, and if you disagree, you're wrong. And that's you don't get an opinion in that argument. You're just wrong. He obviously is the best football coach, and his success speaks for itself. You know, he's probably the most. He's obviously the most successful uh, head coach of all time, and and you know you can make a really strong argument that the best of all time at the head coaching position. So I'm not too worried you know you have to look at that you have to look at that it's not something you can ignore but you also look have to look at the circumstances that they were under you know and your first head coaching gig it's very rare that coaches are successful the first time they get the head coaching gig normally it takes a second chance or in some cases a third chance before they're really successful um, and that's almost across the board it's, it's hard to find guys that in their first stint as a head coach were very successful um and most of the time that is because they inherited a really good football team and then they're not successful as soon as they have to manage their own team. But still, I think that Jim Schwartz would be a good candidate. He's one of my favorites that we haven't announced that we're hiring. Or not, sorry, one of my favorites that we haven't announced that we're interviewing yet. And a guy I definitely think we should take a look at. Also, Really wants to come back to Tennessee. He loved coaching here. He loves Nashville. He loves living uh, around this team. And he's a guy that has gone on record multiple times saying that he would love to come back, that he would love to be the uh, head coach of the Tennessee Titans. So, 
you know, obviously I think that is going to play not a big factor, but a small factor. And I think, you know, his agent's probably on the phone trying to get a hold of John Robinson right now, trying to get an interview for this job because it's a job that he really wants. And, you know, something can be said to that of a guy that really wants to be here and is passionate about this area and this team. That goes, you know, a long way with fans, not so much a long way with a general manager, but something that should be taken into consideration. Before I move on to my next guy I want to talk about, I will say this, with all these Eagles coaches, we cannot meet with any of these Eagles coaches until the two weeks in between the national championship, the NFC championship game, excuse me, and the Super Bowl, and no team can hire them until after the Super Bowl if the Eagles were to make it. That doesn't seem like it would be a big deal, but it is, because if Arizona hires a coach, if coaches start falling in the places, you know, finding new jobs or signing contracts saying that they're staying or anything like that, and our, like, coaching window starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller, like, how much can we depend on this one guy? Is it the guy that we really desperately want to wait for? Or say this, say no coaching hires are made and Arizona still hasn't taken their coach, and say maybe one of these other teams, their deals that look likely haven't happened yet. Then you're looking at, am I, are we all waiting for the same guy? What are the odds that I get this guy? And if I don't, who am I left with? So that is, you know, it adds like a scary component to that. So for me, I'm personally going to be rooting for the Vikings to win that Eagles game. That way we can meet with uh, these guys from uh, Philadelphia, start talking to them, and potentially hire one of them. That's my hope, you know, hopefully, you know, nothing against Eagles fans, and I don't have a dog in the hunt outside of this, you know, coaching matters, so I, I shouldn't care, but I do, because I would like to sit down and talk to some of these guys um, from Philadelphia, because I think they have some strong potential candidates um, coming out of Philly. Uh, one more guy I really wanted to talk about is Jim Bob Cooter, and I'll ask the question, you know, guys that you like on uh, Twitter this week. Uh, and by the way, you can follow me on Twitter at Two Tone Uncensored. Uh, sorry, at TTU Podcast. Um, little plug there for myself. But uh, I talked to one guy that was really big on Jim Bob Cooter, and uh, at first I was like, you know what? It's not a, a big name that I have been thinking about, but a name I'm very familiar with. Um, you know, because of where he comes from, obviously coming out of uh, Fayetteville and where he is coached and, you know, strong ties. I'm a WVU fan as well as a Titans fan. Strong ties to Morgantown as well. So when I start thinking about this, and I start, you know, thinking about this guy, Peyton Manning has nothing but the highest praise for Jim Bob Cooter in the time that he spent with him as a quarterback's coach in Denver. Uh, then he went to the Lions as a quarterback's coach, was promoted halfway through the season in 2015 to be the um, – uh, offensive coordinator, and in midseason completely turned that offense around. And since then, the Lions have had a very successful offense. You know, it makes it easy when you have a guy like Matt Stafford, who is a very good quarterback. But they also lost Calvin Johnson, which a lot of people were like, oh, you know, that's it. That's it for the Lions. Their offense has t- statistically gotten better. There's more receiving touchdowns. There's more passing touchdowns with the loss of Calvin Johnson. And that in large part has to do with Jim Bob Cooter and the way he ran this offense you know, after they lose Calvin Johnson, who, you know, I think all of you are very well aware is, you know, once in a decade kind of talent. I mean, he was a an elite level wide receiver. So Jim Bob Cooter obviously has a very impressive resume in his time with the Lions and his time with uh, winning a Super Bowl with the Broncos. 
Um, and at the time he spent with Peyton Manning, who has nothing but the highest praise for him. And Peyton Manning, obviously one of the greatest to ever play at his position. One thing is limited experience. He spent only a couple years at offensive coordinator. You know, he's doesn't have a lot of coaching experience at, at the NFL level. He's never been a head coach. These are questions that uh, come up when you talk about Jim Bob Cooter, for sure. You know, experience is going to be a big part of it. But he's a guy that does have a lot of offense experience, has experience play calling. So, you know, a guy that I think the Titans should take a very long look at and definitely take the interview with Jim Bob Cooter to see what you got there. There are plenty other candidates out there that, from the college ranks especially, that I'm not going to mention on here um, just for lack of time. But, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of sore on college coaches coming to the NFL. Not a lot of them have success making the jump from the college to the NFL right away. You know, except for Pete Carroll is really the only one in recent memory that I can think of that made the jump from college to the pros and had success right away. So I'm, I'm a little down on that. I don't really like college coaches making the jump right to head coach uh, right off the bat. Um, but, you know, there's some other guys out there for sure that we're going to be looking at. And, and I'm going to be on Twitter uh, every time we announce some bit of news. I'm going to be shooting it out there. And so definitely if you want to stay up to date, I'm definitely worth a follow because I'll be pushing that stuff out. But moving on from just the coaching candidates, some topics we need to talk about. Obviously the big one, what's this mean for Dick LeBeau? If we bring in a defensive-minded coach, does that mean – we don't need Dick LeBeau anymore because if they don't play the coach's style of defense, then are we going to keep Dick LeBeau? If if they run a four three, are we going to keep Dick LeBeau? These are you know all great questions that have come to mind, and I really feel like if we hire an offensive minded guy, especially a younger one with less experience, Dick LeBeau has a high chance of staying in Tennessee. If we don't, if we go with someone who's more experienced or as a defensive minded. It might be harder, you know, to to get Dick LeBeau or to keep Dick LeBeau if that coach wants it. If and it comes down to are the Tennessee Titans going to allow a new coach to have that kind of calls over all of his staff, or is it going to be like you have to keep Dick LeBeau and then it becomes, you know, do you, do are they going to want to come if they can't pick their staff? Just as we saw Malarkey not wanting to coach here anymore because he had to get rid of you know Terry Rubisky and and whatnot. That's going to be a big question mark is or you know what, what does how is Dick LeBeau going to affect our um our hiring a new coach and also what does it mean for Dick LeBeau when we hire a new coach so i you know obviously a guy Dick LeBeau I'm, I'm looking to keep i think most uh you know guys around this team most fans want to see Dick LeBeau stay even though he's he's turning 150, I believe this year he uh, he's a great coach. We had a really, really good defense this year. You know, we had, took a big step forward with defense this year. We had a very good defense. You know, we held a lot of teams, and the only reason we stayed in a lot of games was because of our defense. Held a lot of teams to very low scoring games. We, you know, put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, especially the second half of the season. We were coming up with you know sneaky ways to get pressure and and good blitzes and good defensive line schemes and it was it was a well coached offense more than it is a talent or sorry well coached defense more than it is a talented defense i do think we'd have some very special parts in this defense i think woodyard taking a huge step forward this year byard obviously as he matures is getting better and better and better but 
there's a lot to not like about this team as well. Very young corners, you know, coming out here that one of them in Logan Ryan excels in the slot. Adoree Jackson, Adoree Jackson has blown me away this year, by the way. Like, I thought he was a lot more NFL ready than I first thought he was by watching his tape. And that really impressed me. But still, uh, you know, kind of a raw guy. Our defensive line's not as talented as it probably should be. You know, Williamson has kind of been a liability more than an asset. So there's a lot of, like, pieces that haven't really come together. I think it's a very well-coached defense, though. So obviously, I want to see Dick LeBose stay. I think a lot of you would agree. If you do disagree with me, you know, hit me up on that Twitter, at TTU Podcast, and let me know. Let me know your reasoning behind it. But... That's obviously, you know, I think Dick is going to play a big part in the, the head coaching changes, and we'll see how that works out. And another thing is, I, I don't want us to rush our decision. I know it might seem like that from what I've been saying about, you know, you don't want to be left in the cold, you don't want to focus on one guy, and if you don't get him, be stuck hiring someone you don't like. I don't want us to rush this decision. We rushed into hiring Mike Malarkey, and I think Malarkey has done you know, a decent job with this team. You know, obviously I think we have the potential to do better, but still nine and seven and two seasons in a row and making the playoffs and winning a playoff game, obviously not terrible, uh, but we rushed into that decision. I hated that decision when we made it. If you go back and listen to episode one of this podcast, you can hear, you know, how much I hated this and how much at that point I really wanted Josh McDaniels. Uh, as our offensive, or sorry, as our head coach at that point in time. Um, obviously, I didn't get my way. We had Mike Malarkey. Now we're looking again. And if we would have done this earlier, we might have had a real shot at McDaniels. But I don't think, obviously, it doesn't look like we do now. It looks like he's going to be heading to Indianapolis. And I think it comes down to a couple things. There could be, like I was saying a little bit ago, with the whole Dick LeBeau thing that could have come into play. We don't know. I mean, there's no way to know that. So the other one is you have to look at our roster versus their roster, which is more appealing. Now, obviously our roster is better than the Colts roster. However, if you look at just the quarterbacks, who do you want at quarterback? And I you know, I know most of you hate Andrew Luck and always been injured, and that's true, and you don't know what his future is going to look like coming back from this injury, and that's a big question mark. However, Andrew Luck on tape and like when you watch him play, shows an extraordinary level uh, of quarterback play. He took an awful team to the AFC Championship, an awful roster to the AFC Championship not that long ago. This is he is a quarterback that's very talented. He's more of a traditional style quarterback and like the prototype for a quarterback than Marcus is. And you know if you're coming from a guy like Brady and you're looking. To see if you can make the next Brady, I think most fans, being objective, would look at Andrew Luck before they look at Marcus Mariota. Now, I think Marcus has a very high ceiling, less of a question mark for sure. Definitely the safer choice. And uh, personally, the guy I would want uh, as my quarterback. But if you're being objective and unbiased, when you look at it, you would have to say most guys, especially coming from a history where you worked with prototype quarterbacks, you're going to want the prototype guy. Um, that has a high ceiling over the the guy that's uh, running and stuff and has a high ceiling, and it is not the prototype. So I can see why he would have made that decision. Although you know, although you know, fuck the Colts and they suck, but I can see why you would make that decision um, if you're Josh McDaniels. Plus, also we're late to the game, as I said earlier, which I think hurt us in the McDaniels hunt. I know a lot of you also don't like McDaniels. He had a 
poor record as a head coach as well. And I you know go back to what I said about that. I don't think that matters that much. Although the one really damning thing about McDaniel's is when he was in um, Denver, he really wanted Tebow. Like he was the one that like really pushed. Tebow was his guy in the first round of a draft. Like like I know it might be hard to think that actually happened, but I promise you, folks, it did. Tebow went in the first round, and he really wanted him. And that was that that was McDaniel's guy. So that's something on his like. You know, he was a young guy. It was a really bad mistake. You can't make one mistake define you, and you can't define a coach by one mistake. But that's a pretty damning one, you know. that It's one that's going to be hard to get over. So, to wrap this, all this coaching talk up, I want to keep Dick LeBeau. I don't want us to rush this decision, but we need to start getting all these interviews done, which we are, and knocking this out, finding real candidates, and finding the guy we want for the future of this Tennessee Titans football organization. I want us to see... I want, I'm want. i okay with going after a defensive guy. I'm not one of those guys that's like, oh, it has to be offense or nothing. I'm okay with getting a defensive guy, but he needs to come with a strong coordinator. He needs to come with a good OC. And if he doesn't have one, then... If he doesn't have one planned, or if John Robinson and the ownership don't have a plan to bring one in, or don't have some guys that they want to look at, then that's not a hireable guy. Uh, he's just not. So, looking at these guys, that's why I really like these guys from the Eagles, because I like John DeFilippio as, as an offensive coordinator. I like Jim Schwartz, you know, as a, as a defensive guy, as a defensive mind coming in. And if we could do that and we can keep Dick LeBeau, and I know Schwartz runs a 4-3, and I, I know he prefers that, but if we can get those two working together on a defense and you have the Flippio to work with Marcus and mature him and bring in some guys around him on the offense to really help out, that could be a lethal, lethal combination of really good coaches. So that's the one guy that I'm kind of high on right now. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, a guy that I'm kind of high on right now. Mike Vrabel is a guy I really like. Those are just some names right now that I like. And, you know, I mean, what's my opinion matter in the long run? Those are guys that I like. We have no idea what John Robinson's thinking right now. We do know that these guys will be interviewing over the next few days. We do know the guys that are going to be interested in interviewing as soon as their playoff run is over or potentially uh, soon. And I'll keep the word out for you. Obviously, the next episode we'll be talking about this. And we'll see if we have a new head coach by then. But... That's all we have, really, for right now. Oh, actually, you know what? One more thing I wanted to touch on. The Pro Football Writers Awards came out. Um, Kevin Byard got All-Pro. Taylor Lewan, Kevin Byard, and Brett Kern got All-AFC. I wanted to congratulate those players for the season that they have. Although, I have no idea how you can look at what Brett Kern this did, dear, did this year. Sorry. And not put him at all pro when he led in like every statistical category as a punter but oh well we're Tennessee Titans fans we're used to our players getting snubbed for awards so nothing new there but to honor these guys for what they did this season and another like award they'll have under their belt because they do deserve it they all three of them had fantastic years a big reason why we were a playoff team so but now that is about all I have uh, hit me up. I, I like hearing from all of you guys. I like hearing your opinions. A lot of my opinions get formed from conversations that I have with the fans out there. Um, you know, So definitely hit me up. I like talking to you. I like debating. Debating is how you get to those really good ideas normally. So hit me up on 
at TTU Podcast on Twitter. Also, my private um, Twitter at the Ryan Moreland on Twitter. Uh, hit me up there as well. Uh, I love interacting with all of you guys, all the Titans fans out there, all the two tone uncensored listenership. As I say always, give us that five-star review on whatever you're listening to, and you can listen to the show anywhere, pretty much everywhere. It's on YouTube, it's on TuneIn, it's on Stitcher, Podbean, I mean, it's everywhere. It's iTunes, Google Play, and if it's not somewhere that you like listening to your podcast, let me know and I'll fix that. Thanks to all of you for a really great season. We will be back next week and the week after and the week after, but you know this is the last time for a while that we'll be... Well, you know, going over, recapping a game. It's been an excellent season. Hats off to the Tennessee Titans for their performance. It's not exactly how I think some of you wanted the season to end. You know, but we won a playoff game for the first time in 14 years. That can't be said enough. This team was resilient. This team fought. We had one of the best playoff comebacks in NFL history, you know, to win against the Kansas City Chiefs. So all the praise in the world goes to those players and, you know, Godspeed to to uh, John Robinson. We're putting all of his faith in him that he can find a great coach that we can move forward in this team. We'll look back at this year as the springboard to even better greatness and not just a great note in a sea of terrible. <laughs> hopefully, this is the springboard. Uh, you know, hopefully to a dynasty. But well, I'll settle with a couple Super Bowls. You know, we don't need to get three. Well, if we get to, I'll be okay. <laughs> but that's all we have for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody. It makes the show possible. Big shout-out to Tyler Musson, who helps me out, like, a lot. The dude's, like, indispensable for me. Absolutely does a lot of work. Shout-out to Cody Milholland, who's been helping me out a lot lately as well. Let's go into the offseason. Let's find our head coach. Let's make the right moves. Get ready for the draft and tighten the fuck up. <laughs>